Can a pet change the trajectory of your family and bring joy and even healing to your family? Yeah. All right. So we have expert Jen Burns on the show today, and she trains animals and how to introduce them to your family. Can't wait. Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Welcome to the show. This is episode 152. We are your hosts, Danielle and Justin. Hey. And in this episode, we are talking about pets and all things pets. Well, not all things pets, just just things dogs. Well, because dogs are the only real pets. You? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You definitely have ulterior Fish motives. Count too. You definitely have ulterior motives in inviting Jen Burns on the show. Because Justin uh, It's is, not ulterior, it's the primary motive. <laughs> Justin is always talking about like it'll make our family happy and healthy and everything. Okay, so about here's the pets. thing. Here's the thing. I grew up with pets, dogs and cats. Danielle did not. And she was robbed. Your parents, this is the one point that I that I question your parents' integrity on. I they, think they, they robbed are, you of the experience of of having a dog. They're and, irrelevant. And here's why they're irrelevant. Your parents are irrelevant? No pets. No, they're not irrelevant. They give the kids something to do other than stare at the TV or bug us. <laughs> Maybe the dog wants to watch TV too. And it's great to curl up with the dog and watch a movie or watch TV. Dogs are just like right in. Like y'all tag Danielle on Facebook and just just convince her, convince her why we should have a dog. Because it's time. It's time for the Williams to get a dog. And that's essentially what we're talking about with Jen Burns in this conversation. I'm very kind with Jen Burns on this episode, but I am definitely not one over yet. But I do. Well, Jen's awesome. She is awesome. Jen's awesome. And I love her story about how she you fell know, in love with pets, too. Yeah, but you know what's going to happen here. Oh, Lord. One day soon, like <laughs> the end of this week, we will get a dog <laughs> and you will be like, uh, mm, I don't want a dog. I don't like dogs. Blah, 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 blah. And you'll become best friends with the dog. The dog will try to become best friends with me, which all dogs try to do. The dog will win you over. You won't know how you ever lived without a dog. Like, this is one of those things where you fight me on it, and then at the end you go, thanks for making me do that. You're right. That's how the story ends. You're a psychic now. So let's see how the story begins with this conversation with Jen Burns. We are here today with... Uh, owner of Conscious Dog Training here in Austin, Texas, a neighbor just down the road, Woo-hoo! Jen Burns. She is a certified behavior consultant and certified professional dog trainer. And I'm so excited to have you on the show, Jen, because uh, the girls and I, our kids and I are wanting to have a dog at some point soon. 
And I'm just, honestly, I'm excited to hear about like what that looks like. How do you onboard a pet into a family and training and, and some of the myths and misconceptions and everything. But mostly, I just want you to help me talk Danielle into it. Oh my gosh. First of all, you are such an entrepreneur. How do we onboard a pet? Like that sounds very, very businessy, honey. That sounds really well, sexy. I mean, all right. So should pets sound sexy? Like, oh yeah, whatever. That's just weird. Okay, Jen, welcome to the show. We're so glad to yes, have you. Yes. Hi. <laughs> Thank okay. you guys so much for having me. All right. Yes. So I want to know, like, I never grew up with pets because my parents which i think is just sad oh. it's my only real criticism of your parents is that they never they never oh. had you girls have pets well it was like one of them was allergic to dogs and one of them was allergic to cats and neither one of them really wanted to have pets so we just never really saw the concern in it and um how about you like when you were growing up were you like in love with your pets oh my gosh i <laughs> I was just one of those kids that was drawn to every dog everywhere. Um, and I, I honestly don't remember exactly how it went down. I'm sure a lot of boundaries were crossed at this point, but I think I was journaling in my first grade diary that all I've ever wanted in my whole life was a dog. Um, and my parents were getting a divorce and I just, it was a daily, daily beg for my parents and I honestly think my first grade teacher saw that and her son was moving and couldn't take his dog. And so before I knew it, there was a dog on my doorstep and my teacher and my parents were like, here you go. <laughs> like, love you, what? Oh, that's yes. awesome. Yeah. So, um, you're Crazy. like, I know it's great. The eighties were great. Their boundaries were not so much a thing. Um, oh my gosh, so could you imagine that your teacher just showing up oh on my your for the dog? Just even knowing where we lived, would people would be in, God, they'd be up in arms. Like, oh, I can't believe you gave away your address. Um, and so, yeah, I had this dog and um, he was my everything. Um, he slept with me. He would wait for me. He knew the sound of the bus. When three o'clock rolled around, he'd be at my... Uh, door waiting for me. Um, and so he was just my comfort in a really hard time when my parents were separating and I had a new school and I was having trouble making friends. And so it was very, very early on that I learned just that inherent unconditional love and acceptance from pets. And mm -hmm. I think yeah. I held on to that my whole life. Like when all else fails, you know, you've got the love of a dog to come home to. And I just, that was a huge, huge thing for me. So I, I was always, um, I grew up in Chicago and so there's also not a lot of pets. And I also wanted a black, I also wanted a pig. So I'm kind of the black sheep of the family. Um, <laughs> hey, get a sheep. Everyone's like, I know, <laughs> I'll do some, all the things. Um, so I've always been more of the, I want to walk my pig down the street with my dog and my horse. Um, and so animals were just very much a part of my life growing up as much as they could be given that my parents weren't huge uh, animal people at the time either. Yeah. Wow. That's so shocking that your parents not being pet people would like let you keep that dog. Like I could imagine that going really badly. Like a dog shows up on your doorstep and your parents go, 
no, <laughs> you can't have a dog. We're going through a divorce. The world, the world is crazy right now enough. Are we going to add a pet into this mix? Do you know, like now, do you know what they were kind of thinking at the time? I think they were just like, this girl is, I was, I'm very persistent. And I think they were, I just don't think that I was ever going to give up. Um, mm. And so I think they were, I think they just conceded. Yeah. Maybe she'll shut up about it. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I think my teacher, my, I'm, I don't know that conversation. And actually I haven't really, I haven't actually asked like how that conversation even happened. Um, but I think, you know, they both had animals, but they just weren't having an animal in the sixties and the seventies is much different than having an animal in current day. So they, and my mom is very much a pet person now. I just think that with kids and activities and soccer and football, basketball, softball, like there was just so much going on that having a pet was very low on their priority list. But I do have to say that I took care of that dog. Like that was my dog. So there wasn't a lot on them to have to take care of it. And we were with my mom. So, you know, dad wasn't really a part of the conversation because the dog wasn't going to be there anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I know like as a kid, one time we had asked my parents, I think it was just like, you know, have you ever gone to those carnivals and you like win a goldfish? Like you throw the ping pong ball in like the jar and then you win a goldfish. Well, my sister and I had made the mistake of playing one of those carnival games and she and I both got, we won a goldfish. Now I'm just thinking like as a school carnival, that is a huge imposition. Like all of a sudden you just win a pet. Like that is crazy. Oh, yeah. Do you hear the weird mindset I, w- I that I have to deal with here, Jen? <laughs> you hear this like a no, goldfish I- <laughs> in a cup is an imposition. Well, it's, it's like a, it's a permission thing. I came home with a nuke in fifth grade. There was a raffle after we had a biology class. And I was desperate for Norm the newt. And I just came home with a newt. And I think about it now. And I'm like, did anybody ask my parents if this was okay? Because some people went home with a snake. <laughs> a snake? Oh, good yeah. Lord. Well, I mean, now, I that, definitely, now it's a whole different story. That's a whole different story. But I do, I mean, the principle is still very much the same. Oh my gosh. Okay, so Jen, I, I have know. to confess to you. I was so not a pet person. Okay, now our listeners are going to think I'm a horrible, horrible person. But this is just an insight to how much pets did not register to me whatsoever. Is like after about a month of a goldfish, I kind of got tired of it. (laughs) Yes. My sister was getting tired of hers and it was like getting sick and turning into a skeleton. It was very weird. Oh my God. So we just stopped feeding them and flushed them down the toilet. How horrible is that? Wow. Uh, Well, this is a judgment free zone. Um, But. But, but that's um, that's how much pets did not register in our world as like a thing. Just, like it was oh almost God. like an ant on the sidewalk or something. Like it just didn't even <laughs> register to me that that was a bad thing to do. Like, I don't think it. Yeah. And now, Justin, you grew up with pets. You had dogs and cats. Yeah. And fish. And fish. Did you flush them down the toilet? No. My parents told us <laughs> they would live a happy life in the sewer. 
That's what they told us. Oh, wow. <laughs> and you didn't think, I poop here, and now I'm sending my fish to go with my poop. Okay, so... So Justin and the girls, they love the idea of having a dog. And so they're like very, their interest is very peaked in it. And I'm very like, oh my gosh, now this is just going to be something that I have to take care of. Like for you, when you got your first dog, like when you were out on your own, you know, not with your parents anymore, like, did you put any thought or... Um, like kind of set yourself up for like, okay, like I'm going to be a person taking care of a pet on my own. And like, how did that go down? Oh my gosh. So, (laughs) um, I was having a hard time in college and, uh, again, just felt like something was drastically missing in my life. And so I kept asking my parents, both sets of parents, I have a wonderful sets of parents as well that are very active in my life. And I just kept saying, you know, I want a dog. I want a dog. I was a freshman in college. Um, I had no place to live that allowed pets. Mm. I did research for months, months. I went to the shelter every single day. I wrote down everything I wanted in a dog on a piece of paper that I actually found years later. I had it narrowed down to breeds. I was basically laundering money, doing babysitting and telling my parents that I wasn't and needed more money, kind of, maybe, (laughs) sort of, (laughs) fudging on my utility bill. Like, hey, my utilities were so expensive this month uh, when they weren't. And I would put that money aside and um, eventually found this dog that was exactly what I wanted. I wanted a lab and I wanted a boxer and I couldn't decide. And I ended up finding a lab boxer mix. And this was months in the making. And I had all this cash saved, like all, I mean, I had enough cash for food, uh, a whole year of vaccinations. I had called ahead to find out how much uh, puppy vaccinations would be. Um, I called ahead for training classes (laughs) to see how much that would be. And then I started sneaking around my uh, living situation to see how I could hide a, a pet. Um, and lo and behold, I came home with a pet and my mom didn't know I had a puppy. And so he was like six or eight months old. <laughs> oh my she God. said she was coming. Yeah. <laughs> she said she was coming to visit. And I said, surprise, I have a surprise for you. Um, which is funny cause I'm horrible at surprises. I'm absolutely horrible. Like I tell everyone what they got for Christmas the minute I buy it. And, um, <laughs> And my mom is now very sad that she missed out on Rocco's puppy years. But I was, this was um, not an impulse buy. This was several months in the making. Does it matter, like, if you have kids, um, does it matter, like, what type of dog you get? Because, I mean, I feel like the concern for parents is, like, first of all, like, it's going to be a lot of work. The kids says they're going to help with it and walk it and everything, but they're really not going to. And what if we get some deranged, sociopathic, murderous, killer dog that (laughs) wants to bust through the fence and down every neighbor? And Well, admittedly, I have... I have a little bit of baggage around it. I've been bit by dogs a couple of times. So I just don't want my dog to A, do that to me or my family or to, like you said, the neighborhood kids or anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are some great ways to address that and navigate that. One of the ways, if you're going to, I support breeding that helps 
improve the breed. So that means a lot of health testing and temperament testing. I think one of the biggest issues we see is is it's just really bad breeders. And that's really challenging to bring that into a house with kids. So when a good breeder will find the best fit dog for you in terms of temperament. I love, there's a couple of different programs that do socialization within the litter before you even get a dog. Um, they're called biosensor or puppy culture. There's early neurostimulation that occurs. And that really helps to socialize your puppy to a variety of situations so that you don't necessarily have a sociopath. If you're going to go with a rescue, which I also support, all my dogs have been rescues. I support going through an actual rescue organization where the dog has been in foster and around kids so that you know exactly what you're getting into. Um, and if you choose to go to a shelter, which I also support, there are so many amazing, just wonderful dogs at the shelter. There truly are. Yeah. Um, I would enlist the help of a trainer so that they can help and do a little bit of temperament testing with you and for you. Before you would you actually won't know commit to it. Yeah, yeah. And you won't actually know entirely what you're going to get because there is a bit of a honeymoon period when you bring in a, a rescue dog and that's okay. Um, but they can help you a little bit so that you're not getting this dog and then all of a sudden it's just your world's been turned upside down. So I would say the top three things are do your research. If you're if you're set on a breed or if there's allergies and you have to get a certain thing or this dog can be performing a task or you want a therapy dog or whatever it is, I would say, again, do your re super duper research on finding a responsible, um, ethical breeder, which is, again, it's hard. There's wolves in sheep's clothing. So that's definitely a thing. Yeah. Um, if you choose to rescue, which I really support, I would even do your uh, research on rescue organizations. There's great ones. There's mediocre there's ones. Um, and just find a dog that suits your family. Yeah. There's there's some really good good ones here in the Central Texas region, definitely. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's again, if you have a breed type, there's breed specific rescues and then there's rescues that are more geared towards small dogs or every rescue kind of have it has its niche and finding out how they take dogs in, how they foster dogs, how long the dog's been in foster, has it been around kids, is it good with dogs, is it good with cats, does it walk nicely on a leash? Um, things like that are always good to know. Um, there's just one dog that is with Pflugerville Pets Alive right now, and she has not been adopted, and I can't understand why. She's kid-friendly. She's dog-friendly. She's super lazy, doesn't have a lot of health requirements, and she's just been in foster for three years, and I, I can't understand it. But that's that would be a dog where I'm just waiting for a family to come and scoop her up because she's just a love bug, and she'd be great for busy families that – don't have the time to take their dog for six mile walks. Yeah. So there's tons of wonderful dogs out there. I'm, I'm wondering too, like, um, obviously you're a dog trainer. Um, so mm -hmm. how did you realize kind of the value of training? Because I, I feel like as an outside, I'm just going to claim myself as a non-pet person. Like that's just my breeding is I'm a non-pet person. Your words person. have power, honey. <laughs> but um, <laughs> like, I feel like there are so many dogs or owners or however you want to put it that need some serious training. And I don't know that, like you said, when you got your, your first dog, you thought like, okay, I'm going to have to get money for vaccinations and toys and food and 
the dog and training. And I feel like a lot of people just like totally skip over that as like an optional, like, eh, well, we'll just it'll be fine. We just hope for the best. Yeah, just hope <laughs> for the best. Like, what is the need for like really having a trainer? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm a that's my personality. Uh, so I just when I decide something, I dive in kind of full force. Um, but I think training isn't just about obedience. And I say that a lot. Training is about quality of life for you and your pet. So we would never expect our kids to not socialize, not go to school, not learn. And even if learning isn't job specific, it enriches their lives, right? It enhances critical thinking skills. It gives everybody something to talk about. It gives them social skills. It helps set them up and prepare them for success in the world. And dogs don't speak English. So I think it's really important training to include training just because it puts everyone on the same page. I think it's an amazing opportunity for kids to learn um, just another skill as well. And it also helps with locus of control. I mean, there's so many things, confidence building, brain development, um, and it's so much more than sit, stay, leave it, drop it, come. I mean, again, that's for safety reasons as well. But I think it's just your dog is a living, emotional creature and it deserves to have a full, enriched life. Yes. I love that. Like, how did you first come into contact with training? I know there was a story about you and Rocco, your dog. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So as it turns out, Rocco's probably should have been a bomb sniffing dog. He had one of the highest drives I've ever seen. So drive is um, a, basically a willingness and a desire to work. Um, I've almost yet to see a dog that was on par with him. Um, and so I just, I kept exercising him and running him. Um, I would wake up in the morning, you know, college Jen and roll, literally roll out of bed, put his leash on, go in the car, take him to the park, throw fetch with the truck it, which I thought was the best invention ever because I was mm. previously using a tennis racket. And um, I would do that for like an hour until he just was, you know, walking back to me, not running. And then yeah. I would go back home, uh, go to classes, and then lunch was repeat. And then I played rugby. And so I would often take him to practice or some of my rugby teammates and even some of the men's rugby team would come and run him at night. I mean, this dog was getting so much exercise and I was having a shoulder surgery and there was no way I could walk him. He loved birds and people. He was 93 pounds. Uh, he had destroyed crates, every crate. Oh my gosh. Um, so many, he could open up doors. And I was like, this dog is a liability. I'm not, I'm going to come home and my apartment is either going to be on fire or in shambles, or he's going to, have opened the fridge, which he had done before and eaten everything in there. I mean, he's literally going to either destroy me from house and home or eat me house and home. Wait, um, and so I, I'm sorry. You um, he opened the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I came, made a sandwich? I came, no, I came home one day and you know, those rotisserie chickens. And, um, I found the black bottom piece and the top plastic piece. And I was, you know, again, college Jen is like, Hmm. Okay. I'm, very, very certain that was not there this morning. Um, yeah. And, you know, I kept looking and looking and looking. And I was like, I would never, I know I didn't eat that. And I know I wouldn't have left that out because that's like my food for the week. And I just couldn't figure it out until 
I realized he ate the whole chicken. Like he literally opened up the refrigerator and ate the entire like carcass, everything. He ate oh. everything. Yeah. And then I was like, oh wow. And then one day he also just walked out of opened the door, closed it, walked out of my apartment. A neighbor came by with him and said, Isn't this your dog? And I was looking around, like, how did he I don't understand, like how did you even oh like how did you do this? So I had a lot of issues. And so I did again, I did my research, found a trainer. I thought training was the coolest thing. I was already had a background in psychology. I realized it was just psychology applied to dogs. And I started shadowing and reading a ton of books and watching him work. Um, and that's how it all began. Wow. Wow. What were some of the, like, obviously you said you exercised him like crazy, which that's one of my my concerns is like, yeah, dogs need to be walked and they need a lot of exercise and attention. Just like me. Things like, yeah, (laughs) perfect. You could just do it. (laughs) That's pretty much the, that's pretty much the intention. Yeah. The gist of it is like, okay. So once he got training, did you find any marked differences in him? Oh, yeah. And you know what's crazy is I think back on it, you know, on things I may have done differently now and things like that. But this was, a, again, this was a high drive dog. So even at 13 with cancer, he caught a bird in my yard and he also required like three to six miles a day. So that's a very intense dog, but I didn't have to exercise them as much, you know, mental stimulus. It's, it's kind of the difference between letting your kids run just free for all at a playground and you come home and they're exhausted, but also throwing a fit because they're physically exhausted, but not mentally exhausted yeah. versus them at school when they're slow and controlled and lucid and they're exhausted by 3 PM when they come home, it's a much different type of exhaustion And I also was realizing that I was training arousal. So the more I gave him arousal, the more I kind of fed that need and necessity and drive. So I was just kind of fueling the fire. So when I took it down a notch and really started working on the mental level, um, there was a huge difference. He actually went on to be quite an amazing therapy dog, if anybody can believe it. He took his work very seriously. Um, and And he would help me in sessions. And so just being able to take that drive and use it in a different way. Um, Granted, he still needed a lot of exercise, but using their brain in addition to exercise is just a really great way to help enrich your dog's life. And now we interrupt this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast to bring you a word from our sponsors, us. (laughs) All right. So we know that communication is the hardest part of marriage, right? Yeah. And the story goes something like this. You talk about the bills, crushing the chores, keeping the kids alive. But it feels like you become really good roommates. Not the soulmates you were when you got married. Maybe the busyness of life and the trials and challenges of raising a family have just worn you down. Maybe you're just more comfortable having transactional conversations instead of passionate, transformational, exciting ones. Oh, the good news is that by making seven small shifts, you can get on the same page and have conversations that matter and then infuse more intimacy and connection into your marriage. Oh yeah. So what are those shifts? We've spent more than a decade researching and working with couples to distill down the seven most powerful shifts that couples can make to build more intimacy and connection. Nobody else is teaching this stuff at any price. And this free resource is available now at legendarymarriage.com slash seven secrets, the number seven secrets. 
And the good news is you can make these shifts, just break out of that roommate zone and transform your marriage without making your spouse sit through some boring workshop, endless counseling sessions, or sitting knee to knee naked in some weird sweat lodge, braiding each other's hair and holding hands while a bunch of people sit around staring at you singing Kumbaya. Was that just us that did Awkward. <laughs> so grab this free resource today at legendarymarriage.com slash seven, the number C secrets and start building a life a love and legacy together today and now back to the show so how do you know if that might be beneficial for you to look into like an emotional support dog for your family or just for you yeah i think that's a great topic um and it's a bit of a hot topic right now just because of service dog laws and dog training in and of itself is an unregulated, highly unregulated industry, um, which is crazy because we're working with dogs and families and people. There's a ton of liability. But there's a difference between a service dog and a therapy dog and an emotional support dog. So each dog has um, <clears throat> different access rules um, and different purposes. So a service dog is a task-oriented dog that's performing a legitimate task for you. So let's say you have PTSD, they might grab your medication, they might, um, they can detect pheromones prior to a PTSD incident, an anxiety attack, a panic attack. Um, so they can help bring you out of it. They can help prevent them. And um, there's diabetes dogs, there's obviously seeing guide dogs. Um, and then an emotional support dog is kind of a dog that is there for emotional support. It does serve a purpose, but it doesn't have the access that a service dog would have. Um, and then a therapy dog is a dog that you take into public that provides a therapeutic benefit to other people, like in kids, hospitals, uh, reading programs, things like that. So, um, I think it just depends on finding the need and identifying that and seeing what you need. I mean, I think dogs are provide inherent unconditional love and support. And I think that's amazing. Um, and I think many, 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 many people can benefit it, benefit from it when in a structured way and even in an unstructured way. But I don't typically recommend getting a dog solely for that purpose unless you absolutely have an identified need. Right. Yeah. I'm just wondering, what are some of those benefits? Like, even if it's not like a certified, you know, therapy or emotional support or... Um, any of those type of situations, it's just like, oh, we're just going to introduce a dog into our family. What are some of the benefits (laughs) that a family can experience just by introducing, um, you know, just a regular pet into their family? Oh man. I think it's, I think pets and team sports are what (laughs) like every kid should have. Um, I think it teaches responsibility, even if it's very minimal, right? Like we're not asking a seven or a nine-year-old to train a dog, but they can do very simple tasks. And I think it teaches them, um, I think it's confidence building for the kids. And I think it's really amazing just on a psychological level for a child to learn a skill set, implement a skill set and see success and vice versa for the dog. So it creates just a really nice relationship with all parties of the family. I think it gives something for the family to bond over. I think it can provide a rule structure. I think it can open up lines of communication. I think it's helpful for sometimes even parents to watch their relationship with the kids and the dogs and have that mirror back to them. Mm. Wait, because so, tell, so tell much me about of dogs. That. 
<laughs> Wait. <laughs> yeah. So um, a lot of people come to us saying, this is what I don't want my dog to do. Um, and my dog responds to no. And my question is always, what would you prefer them to do? And I think that that is such an amazing opportunity for parents to learn and observe if we're doing that with our kids as well. So instead of a no, um, or instead of a don't do that, is there some way that we could communicate to them that provides a positive message? Hey, I, I see what you're doing and I appreciate that, but is there any way and and is there any way you could maybe do this instead? And then positively reinforce that. So all behavior is based on reinforcement history. So what has worked, what has not worked. So if you find that your kids or your dog is consistently doing something that you're just like, why? It's obviously working for them. So behavior is lawful, whether it's a dog, a kid, a horse, a pig, a cow. Um, If it works, they'll do it again. And so I think that when you're able to look at your puppy like that and find new creative ways to solve it, even as a family, I think it can bring the whole family together. And I think you can even affect people's parenting styles and it gives kids responsibility, um, accountability. Um, I think it can help with um, some kids with attachment. If some kids are dealing with attachment issues, it can help with stress levels. It's been shown to lower just being around a dog and touching a dog has been shown to lower blood pressure levels. Um, you can learn about sharing and patience. I mean, there's honestly, I could go yeah. self-love. Like I could go on and on and on and and on. And I think when we find opportunities to show them like training classes, your puppy's opportunity to learn just like you go to school and all these other things, I think it can provide boundaries, structure. I mean, I just think it's a great way for families to come together when it goes really, really well. I think it's very, very successful. And I think it creates an additional bomb that, you know, sometimes only a pet can provide. Yeah. So you mentioned like it teaches kids responsibility and there, you know, there's the classic mm-hmm. trope, the classic story of like the kids say, we'll take care of it and we'll walk it and we'll do everything. And then, then they do nothing. And at, right. like, it's almost like it's the, what was the movie a few years ago, Beethoven and like every yeah. dog movie or every, <laughs> it's kind of a classic storyline where the kids Very say they're going to do it. Yes. And then, and then, so how do you, how do you actually create a, create that responsibility and the follow-through with it yeah um so that's always my concern around christmas and end of the school year people get puppies assuming and the kids are begging and they get you know christmas puppies or summertime puppies and the kids are going to do all the work um and i'm usually like assume they will do nothing like just like this dog is your dog assume nothing is going to happen but i think um making it just baby steps for them. So I wouldn't, I don't even think it's safe for kids to walk dogs just because Austin is so super concentrated with dogs and loose dogs and fences that are breaking. It's just very dangerous. Um, and so safety is always my first concern, but I think things like, um, Hey, you have our responsibility and it is to feed the dog every morning or even scoop the dog's food every morning or, Um, we're going to sit down at five o'clock and we're going to help brush the puppy or, you know, very little, very, very little tasks. And then again, there's consequences and, um, to each action and it's baby steps. So not saying like, okay, we're going to get a dog and you're going to feed it and walk it and take it to the vet and groom it and train it. That's, you're going to set your kid up for failure as well. And so you can be pleasantly surprised if they decide to do all of that and partake in all of it. And some kids are, some kids are on it. Um, and then, you know, some kids fall off and I always just say, expect 
nothing and you'll be pleasantly surprised if you get something, but always setting them up for success. So we have an exercise called the name game. That is the beginning of a very strong recall and very, very easy. And that's one thing that we love when kids do, just saying the name and tossing a treat. So you can count it out. Some kids love to count it out. One kid likes to do it. One kid can count for it. So just breaking it into very small tasks, just like we would with anything else with kids. But yeah, assume that they're not going to participate and they're going to get sick of the puppy and then be pleasantly surprised when they're not. Yeah. See, I can see Allie, our oldest, being very responsible and like very active. I can see Caroline being like, uh, no, thanks. Yeah. 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 I mean, I want the puppy. I want the puppy. I want the puppy. Ooh, look, Legos. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a good question is to like, what if like in our family, there may be kind of a split where, um, some of the family really is uber interested in having a dog and then some of them not so much like just don't know it yet how do you how do you (laughs) negotiate that when some of your family is really on board with it and some is not very carefully (laughs) it's like hostage negotiations um no it's (laughs) um i think as long as you're providing consistency across the board so You know, not everyone loves to be involved and it's unfortunate um, and it provides a little bit of, it does end up being very confusing, especially if you have a puppy or even an adult dog, because, you know, dad does a lot of the training, your mom does a lot of the training and sister reinforces the jumping, but brother doesn't. Um, And that can provide a lot of internal, that can, it can just be very confusing. Um, But I think the, the best Thing that a dog trainer can do is train the humans and so adjust the expectations. So sometimes I create split training plans. Um, so this is what mom is going to do. This is what dad's going to do. And this is what the kids are going to do. And the goals are all the same, but as long as everyone's consistent. So consistency is really the key. And it's okay. You know, some people are like, Hey, I did this for the kids. This is, this is not my, this is not for me. Um, as long as, again, there's consistency and you don't ruin the training or ruin behavior or make anything worse, um, as long as things are maintained um, and it's agreed upon, right? So there's not resentment going on and everyone's on the same page. Yeah. I think that's just the main concern. I know you spoke in the beginning saying that like when you first had your dog as a kid, there were like no boundaries and uh, like (laughs) the thought of a dog sleeping in the bed with me, like would just send me through the roof. Like that is... You barely tolerate me sleeping in the bed. (laughs) (laughs) We have a king size bed and Danielle hangs off her side. Because I like to drink my leg over the edge. There has to be like three feet of distance between us, which I'm perfectly fine with by the way i'm not complaining okay well don't compl- so you're so, saying the dog would go in the middle the dog could go in the middle <laughs> still have room no 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 dogs in bed no i'm just saying like what are some of the boundaries that families should be aware of because i mean there are plenty of kids that would say i can i'll let all the pets sleep in bed with me or <laughs> in the school with me or you know whatever what are some of those boundaries that you Caroline why is family? your backpack wiggling yeah oh i put the <laughs> in there um one day i actually got called down from the office and my dog had escaped and he was he literally followed me to school he was on the <laughs> he was on the playground yeah, oh and gosh. like wouldn't come to anyone, and I just appeared, and he was like, "Oh, thank God, there you are." Um, uh, I think it's a personal preference, and I'm all about what works for families. So, 
I like to crate train if you have a puppy and for potty training and for safety reasons. Um, I'm not someone who loves a lot of dogs on the bed, not for any behavior issue, just um, more of I like duvet covers and I don't like them to get <laughs> ruined. Yeah. Um, and so, but when I'm sick, my dog 100% is on the bed with me. I mean, that's just the way it is. Um, and it's just really about families. There's ways to get dogs on the furniture, off the furniture in a nice way. You can have it where there, if the blanket is up, you're allowed on the furniture. If the blanket's not, you're not. I just think, again, it's consistency. So, um, you know, if they're allowed on sister's bed, that's one thing. Um, as long as, again, the rules are consistent. So, yeah. Um, I think it's more for boundaries. It's more about teaching your dog the way of the world and reinforcing it. So for me, it's a safety thing. Like wait at doors is one thing that we teach puppies. One of the very first things we teach puppies, um, just because once they take a gamble and realize that the world is their oyster full of amazing smells and people and chase and then (laughs) cookies when they come back home, you know, it's, um, so for me, I always reinforce them for waiting at doors, um, especially with kids in the house, because there's so many unpredictable variables, kids coming in, kids coming out, doors being left open, things like that. It's a safety concern. Um, that brings up a question. So in terms of, I want to yeah. get to, uh, we're going to run out of time, but I, but I want to get to some of the myths and misconceptions, but before we do yeah. wait at door, I love this idea of the dog that just like goes to the door and sits there and waits. What about doorbells? Like, is, there, <laughs> yeah. is it possible to train your dog to not go psychotic when the doorbell rings? Oh my gosh. I have it is, it's, um, that is a very challenging behavior because again, they typically get, you have to see it from a dog's point of view. They typically get jackpotted, right? So doorbell rings and everyone's like, I'm coming. And there's a lot of hustle and bustle and the dog's like, oh my God, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. And then typically like this magical person appears or a magical package that has their bark box appears. I mean, they typically get jackpotted quite a bit with the doorbell. Um, And so when you have a puppy or if you're bringing home a dog, um, training needs to be consistent and it needs to be uh, highly just consistent and from the Um, get-go. But again, it's just about teaching them and paying them appropriately. So when I say pay, I mean reward and reinforce them. I wouldn't work for free. I'm not going to work for a pat on the back. I mean, I want money. Um, and money for dogs is food. Um, for the most part, food is currency. So being able to pay them and pay them well. So yeah. every time a door opens and like even just their breakfast pops out, you can be sure that the door is going to open and they're going to expect breakfast. That's just that's yeah. just how a dog's and all of our brains work. Um, and so it's just teaching them proper ways to live in our world as a dog. Yeah. All right. So myths and misconceptions. Come on. Like there, yes, there are so here many. We go. <laughs> I'm just picturing, I'm just like, you talk about training a dog and like the old, the old days, it was like grab a newspaper and start beating it on the head when it does something or like a rub its nose and stuff <laughs> or, you know, stuff like that, that, that like, you know, is not right. Or and like the, you still see. Or like the Caesar Milan that's. <laughs> Yeah, I, there's I like that. some kind of noise. I don't know. It's like a tisk or a sh or something. Yeah, to do. I don't yeah. know what it's about. But so, what are some of those <laughs> yeah. myths that we have about dogs? Sure. Training? Um, I think one of the biggest myths is the dominance theory. So dominance is when people are like, "I'm the alpha" or "I'm the boss," or they have to know that I'm the pack leader. That's just 
been totally debunked. That's not applicable. Like I said, behavior is just based on reinforcement history and we're not dogs. We're not even close to dogs. Um, and if we can train elephants and crocodiles to have <laughs> veterinary exams or take blood draws without a shock collar, without an e-collar, you certainly can't alpha roll an elephant or a rhinoceros. There's no reason we should be doing it to our what we consider as man's best friend. You just blew yeah, my mind talking about training an alligator to for, for, for a vet. like what? Like it just didn't even. Yeah. I'm sorry. That one. That one just got me. <laughs> Oh, I, gosh. I mean, possible. if you if you start to Google, um, you know, animal just animal training or crocodiles or elephant getting their um, feet trimmed or horses getting their feet trimmed, um, there's ways to do it where they actually will offer you their foot. They'll get a cookie or a treat. I mean, it's how we train dolphins and whales. We cannot shock them. They're in the water. It's not a thing. The whistle. Um, they use the whistles. They use. Um, operant conditioning, classical conditioning, the same thing we would use with a dog. So this whole dominance theory, this whole shock color thing, um, especially for use with fearful dogs, it creates learned helplessness and it generally suppresses the behavior. It doesn't resolve the behavior. Mm. So what happens with an e-collar, a shock collar, uh, a prong collar, a flip lead, um, there's so many ways to punish a dog now. Um, mm. typically we punish at the very beginning of like a growl or the very beginning of a behavior or as soon as they don't do what we want. Um, and if you can imagine not speaking that language, being in a foreign country and somebody shocking you or hitting you or snapping you or yanking on your neck, every time you got a wrong answer, you would just become a hot mess express or you just wouldn't move. Yeah. So some of my scariest aggression cases are dogs that were previously trained on a shock collar or an e-collar or have been pinned to the ground, that's like asking for a bite on the hand because they know that the hand is the one that pins you. And now hands mean they're about to get hurt. And so hands are dangerous. Um, and so a lot of people will be like, oh, the correct use of an e-collar is not painful and it's totally fine for a dog. And I'm like, well, okay, so electric shock is what we consider torture for prisoners and we're not, that's illegal. <laughs> um, and so the, I don't, doesn't make any sense why we're doing it on our animals. Nice. Um, and to properly use a shock collar, an e-collar, any, any type of punishment, um, you have to have a very strong background in learning theory. You have to have perfect timing and you have to know the dog very, very well. And if you have all that, then you really shouldn't need an e-collar. You shouldn't need to use punishment if you truly know all of that. So unfortunately, there's a very big rise in the Austin area and surrounding areas with shot collar training, flip leads, prong collars, um, because it gives you it does give you immediate results, but you pay a price in the end, and that price can be significantly higher, especially with a bite. And that's why I don't re recommend it with kids because I would much much rather have a dog be uncomfortable and learn to move away than a dog who won't give me a growl because they've been punished for a growl. But the growls actually are warning. So I'd much rather have a little bit of a growl, learn to move away and not escalate than have absolutely no warning and then a bite. Right. And that's why dogs that have been trained with those types of things are my scariest cases because I don't get a lot of warning. Yeah. Um, so, so definitely that's a big one. Rubbing their nose in it is is crazy. Dogs are very in the moment. So they're not going to make that association. They're going to make the association that you come to them and something bad happens, meaning they get pushed into something. They're not going to know like, Oh, you know what? 10 hours ago when I peed, that was probably the wrong choice. They don't, that's not what they do. 
Um, and same thing with your dog being guilty. Dogs can pick up on your own language. And if you think they're guilty every time you come home, that's probably because they're expecting you some behavior out of you versus what they've done. So studies have shown that's a thing. And so is revenge peeing. Revenge peeing and revenge pooping. Like my dog stares at me and poops in my bedroom on purpose because he doesn't think I'm the boss. And I'm like, maybe your dog's just not potty trained. How about that? <laughs> maybe this is actually your responsibility <laughs> instead of your dog actively seeking revenge. So well, it's um, those it's are like those are it's so that's so interesting. Yeah. It just makes me think it's like any relationship, right? We we make all these assumptions and judgments. We form all these stories about the other person or the dog's motivations and intentions and everything else, and it's all BS. Mm. It's all BS. It's are everything dogs that we create capable and... of revenge? Is that something dogs are capable oh, of? Dog revenge, like a <laughs> Bond villain. No, I mean for real though. Are they capable of doing something like that? <clears throat> Um, again, I think it's just all behaviors based on reinforcement history. Okay. So if it works, they'll do it again. Like if it felt good, if it was self-reinforcing, if something in their environment reinforced them, whether that's like, um, I'll take doodles, for example. So like golden doodles, cavapoodles, um, cavadoos, uh, labradoodles, all the doodles, Aussie doodles, bernadoodles, um, they <laughs> are everything is amazing to them. Like they breathe and that's reinforcing. Like it's just, they're so easy to reinforce, but in the same sense, if you give them eye contact, like that's a reinforcement for them. So, and again, if it works, they'll do it again. So even if they're barking at you and you turn around and be like, Oh, be quiet. You just reinforce that behavior because they just got attention for it. Got it. Got it. That's interesting. So like when Bring people up are like, like the different breeds, um, will react differently to different um, rewards and such like that. I, I, I guess I thought like across the board, like if it works for one dog, it would work for another one. Well, generally, I mean, again, behavior is lawful, but there's some dogs that, you know, might love balls more. So balls and toys might be more reinforcing. There's some that tug might be more reinforcing. There's some dogs that have a little bit more of a prey drive. So chase is way more reinforcing. Um, just like, just like us, like, I don't want to go to a dance club. So taking me to a dance club is my torture. Um, so there better be a super high incentive. Like this better be someone's like last dying wish. I better be getting a million dollars at the end of it. Otherwise, I'm a solid no all across the time, all the time. I'm with um, you, but some people, Yeah. Maybe there could but be like a, a nacho fountain or something. That would be really good to do. <laughs> yes. Right. Like some people nacho just have preferences. It's flowing with queso. <laughs> with queso. Kind of. <laughs> that would be really yeah, so, Exactly. Um, I, I think I could get trained with queso. That would work for me. That could be my <laughs> reinforcement. If I do something good around the house, Justin, All right. just give me some queso. You'll find a little right. cup of queso just <laughs> appears. All right. Put it in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And then I'll come around and nuzzle your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> no. You can get a you can get turning. a little squeeze from a squeeze tube. Yeah. Oh, a little squeeze tube like toothpaste. A squeeze tube. Oh my yes, gosh, I actually Jen, we better start. Danielle is now on on Google searching for uh, queso tube, tube. <laughs> queso flavor. <laughs> 
Um, I unfortunately, I don't think that's a thing. All right. Well, Jen, oh my gosh. So, so glad to have you on the show. I want to know our audience for sure is going to need to know how to get some more tips from you, what you're doing, find out more about how to incorporate, um, well-behaved dogs into their family. So how can we find you? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, my Instagram, my Facebook is conscious dog training. It's all under the same handle. Uh, my website is consciousdogtraining.com. to find a trainer in your area. I would go to www.ccpdt.org. Um, that's an internationally, an international organization that certifies professional dog trainers and behavior consultants. Um, and there's tons of other resources on Instagram. The IAABC is a great one. Um, and even just looking up certain hashtags like force free training, um, positive reinforcement should put you in a really good direction. Oh, wow. Okay. That's really good advice. Um, and of course we'll include that in our show notes. So in case you didn't catch all of those, um, websites and hashtags and everything else. We'll put those there. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being on the show, Jen. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thank you guys so much. All right. And now the talk about it segment of the show. Each week, we challenge you to set a time with your spouse to have a conversation that matters. All right. So here's the conversation starter question. What would having a dog add to your family? Or if you already have a dog, what does the dog add? I am reluctant to ask this question because I feel like it's giving people in my family a view that it is possible to have a dog in our family. It's not just possible. It's probable. It's likely. Well, we're going to really have to have this conversation. And much like Ned Stark would say. I don't know who that is. Doesn't matter. The listeners will. <laughs> the dog is coming. Is that Iron Man? No. Um, uh, so here's what we want you to do. Uh, I'm going to give you Danielle's cell number. No, don't. And that. you're going to out all our listeners. We want you to call, text, leave voicemails no. to convince Danielle it's None time for the Williams family to get a dog. No. Her no. phone number is. Five one two. Justin, Nobody call me. Nobody call me. Nobody leave me voicemails and nobody leave me texts. That's it for today's show. Grab your copy of the seven secrets of legendary marriages over at legendarymarriage.com slash seven secrets. When I get up, you're in trouble. Well, lastly, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show so we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Come on, Justin, get in here. I'm here. I'm here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you. Hey, don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.